Every business has 10 problems at any given time that need to be solved. And the way we solve our problems is by asking questions and getting answers that help us to get to the next step, to get into action and try things. Because we can't just solve problems in thought, we need to actually take action. And to help you get into action, to help you feel confident and provide clarity so you know what to do next, I am hosting two free, completely free, live Ask Me Anything sessions on May 21st and May 22nd. They are divided by pre-launch. If you haven't launched yet, I'll take questions about that. And then post-launch, if you have a business and you're ready to grow it, or maybe you have questions about whether you checked all the boxes correctly, I'll focus on those questions. And to register totally free, you go to foodbizsuccess.com forward slash AMA 2024. Get yourself registered. You can come to one or both of them. And it's a way for you to get to know me and my expertise after working with hundreds of packaged food brands and helping them launch and scale to 100K and beyond, this is a great way for you to come and ask that burning question so you get an answer and can move forward and get more success more quickly. When we get into motion and action, we see success and we get momentum. So come join me, get yourself registered, The link is also below in the description. See you there. I'm Sari Kimball, and I've done just about everything in the food industry. I have helped hundreds of packaged food business entrepreneurs, and now I want to help you make your delicious dream a reality. Whether you want to be successful at farmer's markets, online, or wholesale onto store shelves, food business success is your secret ingredient. I will show you how to avoid an expensive hobby and instead run a profitable food business. Now let's jump in. Hi there, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Today we have a special treat. I get to talk with um, colleague and friend Doug Helbig uh, today. And wow, we are going to talk about some really cool topics um, that when you are ready to grow your brand and get into larger accounts and really grow sales, this is for you. This episode is definitely for you. So Doug has spent over a decade in the natural food industry. He has helped scale early stage startups like Good Belly, Nutiva, Dang, and now he is with Alter Eco Foods. Congratulations on that role. And um, he has a local passion for helping uh, Colorado area foodpreneurs. He founded Colorado Food Works five years ago and Doug and his um, colleagues really help grow that community throughout Colorado and providing that, that support and connectivity and access uh, for, for early stage and later stage foodpreneurs. Um, his help yourself by helping others mentality has helped countless natural food professionals grow their careers and their businesses and he continues to pay it forward. And so we really appreciate you paying it forward by sharing uh, your valuable time on this podcast. So welcome, Doug. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be on. Yeah. Well, do you want to fill out anything else in there? I mean, it's definitely a great resume, but um, kind of what has been your, your role in, in some of those organizations? Or, or what do you say is like your sure. zone of genius? Oh, gosh, I wouldn't call it a zone of genius. Uh, I would call it a zone of uh, getting by. But uh, I've been very fortunate to be in the natural foods industry for coming on 15 years now. Um, Like many of us, I kind of fell backwards into uh, an opportunity as a merchandiser, you know, really cut my teeth on the streets, uh, fighting the, the juice wars of the early 2000s, where Adwala and Naked Juice and both house farms were uh, kind of known for stealing shelves from each other. And so really cut my teeth there and I've had the opportunity to work for some really great mission-based startup companies where 
you know, great people, great product, and uh, really learned a lot about the industry and really fell in love with the industry. Um, I think one thing I noticed about the industry was the barriers of entry to starting a food company can be comparatively low, still a feat for by no by by all means, but you know there's a, a lot of people who can have a passion, have a great recipe, um, have some, some success at a farmer's market, and launch into the food space. And before they know it, they say, "Oh shoot, I'm in the food space." <laughs> and it really drove me to to create Colorado Food Works five years ago. Is you know living in Denver and you know traveling through different parts of the of the state. Saw some white space for community and, um, you know, kind of riding in the wake of an amazing organization like Naturally Boulder, who really has set the bar for community engagement. Uh, there's an opportunity to just build out, you know, more community. And, you know, with, with that barrier of entry being so low, you find, you know, what I kind of termed foodpreneurs, you know, you know, they have a great recipe, they have the passion, but they don't necessarily know how to navigate the potholes of a startup. And so with all those things combined, uh, created Colorado Foodworks as uh, an opportunity and a, a tool for brands to, you know, reach out to their peers um, to kind of gain, you know, gain access and help, help navigate. So uh, five great years of building an awesome community uh, up to 600 members um, in, in the, the Denver area. Uh, have uh, launched a Colorado Springs chapter, and uh, before 2020 hit us in the face, uh, we had uh, branches opening up in Summit County and even on the Western Slope, really bringing community to communities. So I've had a really great opportunity to to grow my career with some awesome brands, help build community through Colorado Foodworks, and I just love seeing the I love seeing people prosper. I love seeing people help each other. Yeah, you are you are a true connector. I think you know you love connecting people together, and oh, you got to talk to so and so, and oh my gosh, they need to talk to you, and um, so we really appreciate <laughs> all of all of those connections. I'm sure a lot of people appreciate uh, everything you've done for them, and and it just comes naturally to you, which is really cool. Well, thank you, thank you. Well, I, I I will say that I I would not be where I am in my career if I hadn't had people along the way uh, sticking an arm out and helping me out as well. So, uh, kind of goes goes around, comes around. Absolutely, I think that's one of the the awesome things about the the food industry is it seems like people in general are really giving and they they know that they wouldn't have gotten anywhere without help from others and it just seems like a very um giving industry where everybody wants to help each other out for sure so we did actually did a webinar a while back um (laughs) pre-covid i remember (laughs) that uh my how things have changed but uh we were really talking about um growing your brand uh to you know, 1 million in sales or, or more. And I know some people listening, um, you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast are just like, uh, they haven't even started, right? They just, they have an idea. And, um, you know, I guess maybe we should just say that, first of all, if you didn't know it already, uh, if you have a packaged food product, you are in what's called CPG, <laughs> Consumer Packaged Good. Uh, that's your your industry that you're in. So I'm sure we'll refer to, to CPG as we go through this conversation. But I want to re- definitely refer to some of those things we talked about, but I'll, I'll put the link to that webinar in the show notes so people if people want to just go watch that particular webinar, but I think we can definitely touch on some other topics here. So if I was just starting out, I have a passion, you know, it's the story that I hear over and over again. I'm sure you do too. You make something amazing in your home kitchen and you just have this great idea and you don't know what, what do you do next? Well, great question. I think you really have to understand, you know, what your end game is. You know, there's a lot of different definitions of success. And I think that what that definition is to you is what means most. Um, you know, I know I know people in the community who do a great job, you know, working 10 farmers markets a week, make a very good living, and they love what they do. Um, and that's their definition of success. And I know others who are looking to scale their company to, you know, $50 million in revenue and exit to a strategic. So I think the first thing is defining what are you in this for? Um, I think that will really help you avoid pitfalls down the road is being true with yourself of what you're looking 
to achieve. And again, just because one person defines success as a you know a multi-million dollar exit, that does not necessarily mean that's the same definition for success for you. So that's I think key. Yeah, hundred percent. And I really ask people to think about that pretty early on because it's going to determine what your next steps are and also long term so we can plan ahead for that. But there are so many ways to be successful. And for some people, this will be a permanent side hustle because it's just a passion for them. And, you know, they love making their product on the side or selling it. Um, And then some people, this is, you know, they are like, they're in it for the big win. So nothing wrong with either any of those measures of success, but being really honest with yourself, I think is really important as a first step. You know, from there, kind of once you've defined kind of what is your, what is your definition of success? You know, obviously, you know, sales, I think people, you know, use that as a, as a pretty obvious benchmark. Um, What I often find is really uh, brands that don't exercise the walk before you run mentality are often the ones that will trip and fall. So, um, you know, that's something that focus on what you're focusing on now. And I always like to say, perfect the bubble that you're in now before you start focusing on the, the bubble for tomorrow. So, you know, I've got brands who are, you know, rep, you know, trying to figure out their logo and talking about getting into Target. And that's just a very big disconnect. And I think that um, creating your data story and your data story and turning into like a, a snowball effect where it just it just grows with time is the best way, the most sound way to kind of grow a fundamentally strong business. Um, and one thing that I you'll hear me say throughout this podcast is just data, data, and data. Um, it's just the way that grocery is growing, um, you know, for better or for worse, you know, building your brand solely on mission and passion. Uh, that's great. And it's fantastic. But if you don't have a good data story to back that up, then it's, it's just not going to go, not going to go far. So really finding a way to metricize your success and not everyone has to be in a thousand Kroger stores to find data success. Um, I really, you know, challenge the brands that I work with to, you know, find data in as smallest of a molecule as you can, because that's, that's the little tiny snowball and you have to start there to get your snowball bigger and bigger. So, uh, really, really understanding what drives your sales, um, learn from that so you can repeat. And if it doesn't work, you can tweak and then repeat, uh, is really going to be key. And whether that's, you know, if you work at a farmer's market, you know, make sure that you have data to prove that you, if you are a, say that you're a coffee brand at a, at a farmer's market, you know, perfect that farmer's market, have the data that says, I am the king of this farmer's market. And then you take that story to two and three more farmers markets. And then you start getting that snowball where I'm the best coffee brand at Denver area farmers markets, period. You take that data nugget to a, an alfalfas or even uh, a Whole Foods in the Rocky Mountain region. And now you're not just another brand, you're a brand that has some real data momentum behind them. Now, granted, farmers market data doesn't necessarily correlate to being a multi- multi-million Whole Foods brand, but it shows that you've got the know-how to build upon success. And that's, that's really the key is that, again, having that, that strong foundation um, and then building upon that is, is really key. Yeah. And we'll keep talking. Definitely. I know data story will be a big theme and throughout this whole interview, but, um, and, and that goes to your point about not, not running before you walk. But I also think there's that piece of like, do you need to make your product first, like be the first one touching your product before you hire a co-packer or before you get pre-printed? I mean, it, it could apply to so many different pieces of your business. And I do think people who are like already skipping way ahead and they, like you said, they're still working on their package or their, their final product, like let's back it up and really work on perfecting the product and the price and making sure that this business model is going to work uh, before we get too far ahead of ourselves and hire a co-packer and (laughs) get thousands of units made. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I think owning, you know, owning your own recipe, owning your own brand out of the gates is, is, is really truly before we start talking about even farmers markets is really understanding, you know, you know your product best and 
there's a lot of investment and uh, a lot of a lot of hardship that can come if you do if you do things too soon, um, especially on the financial side. So own your brand as, as long as you possibly can. You know, working through commissary systems and, and really you know building building your product that way, perfecting perfecting your formula, perfecting your branding, perfecting everything that goes into that. Um, you know, getting that getting that done right on the front end is really just going to help things in the back end. Yeah, totally. Well, that leads actually nicely into, okay, I have a product, I've done some farmer's markets, or I've started my e-commerce, I'm getting some good traction. I want to go into retail. Maybe I've been around a little bit now, a couple years in. This is no longer a hobby. I really want to make this my, you know, my business, my, my income. Um, and I know sales is a big, can be a really big issue for a lot of people I work with uh, in food business success. I mean, they're so passionate about their product and that's what they love. And, and even the, the farmer's market sales, that's fine, you know, because it's like that one-on-one, um, you know, customer relationship. But um, how long do you need to be your own salesperson and how do you actually even start this relationship and in getting into retailers? How do you get, how do you be successful going into retail? Well, I think out of the gate, you know, you, you are your brand. Um, and I think, you know, you know, I think that you can grow your brand substantially without outsourcing salespeople out of the gate. And because you know, you, your brand, you are your brand, uh, keep it in as in, as in-house as you can until you can't anymore. So again, you know, salespeople can be expensive and, um, not always, uh, you know, perfectly aligned. So, don't rush towards that because again, like no one's going to sell your product better than you because it's your product. So I really focus, focus your efforts there. Um, I know a lot of companies kind of have co-founders where, you know, it's you and a business partner and you, you know, one person's more of the marketing person, one person's more of the salesperson. Um, just, you know, make sure that you focus on, on that, you know, to build momentum uh, because if you don't have momentum and you, again, you extend yourself too much either with a salesperson or with, you know, bringing on a co-packer, you're going to get out ahead of your skis and it's just, it's just not going to be end well for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I, I feel like there's probably three hats that people have to wear as a food brand. It's either it's production, it's marketing, and then it like social media and that kind of thing. And then there's sales and I find most people like <laughs> they love to make their product and they kind of love to market it and do the social media, but then the sales are really intimidated by that. So uh, what are some of the steps that people need to, you know, or things that they need to know in this industry when you want to start thinking about approaching even small retailers like an alfalfa's or independent grocery stores? Well, I think, you know, it's if finding your point of differentiation, you know, it's a, it can be a very um, challenging landscape and it's very competitive. So if you're making, um, a, you know, a, a dip of some sort, what makes your dip better? You know, is it, um, is it the function that it brings? Is it the clean label that it brings? Is it, is it solely built on just the, the, the better taste, but you know, everyone's going to say that their product tastes the best. So, you know, if, your just truly does, then that's, that's, you know, your job to kind of get that across, but really kind of finding your niche is, and, you know, there's, you know, that buyer is talking to thousands and thousands of brands and they all are the best of the best. So why you, like, what is it about you that's going to get you on the shelf? And it doesn't always come down to taste because taste is subjective. So, you know, if you're selling coffee and your buyer hates coffee, well, what are you going to lean on after that? And, you know, a good buyer doesn't base his decisions off of his taste profile, his or her taste profile. It's really, again, back to data. So I think that if you're going to be in front of a, you know, if you have 10 minutes with a Whole Foods buyer in an elevator, you can sing your praises about how delicious your product is, but what is the differentiator? Um, you know, why, why me? And why am I going, why are you going to pick me over the 999 other brands that you're seeing this year? Um, and I think the best way, and I, and I could, I told you I'd say it over and over again, the best way to cut through those 999 brands is data. Um, so, you know, again, starting your data story, wherever it is. And if you break into, you know, an alfalfa is really, 
you know, focusing on perfecting that data story. So, you know, you do look strong and they say, wow, you do turn 10 times more product than the, than the competition does. There's your leg up. So that's really going to be the key uh, in kind of, kind of the, the why, the why do you deserve to be on that shelf? Yeah, I think people are surprised sometimes. I mean, as a former buyer and then now with food business success or my one-on-one clients, like people are like, but don't you want to taste it first? And I'm like, actually, I I mean, it better taste great. Like that just seems like that's a given, but Mm -hmm. you can't sell me on whether you should do this or whether I'm going to put you on the shelf based on taste. Like it better taste great. (laughs) That's but yeah. that's not what's going to sell the product when it's on a store shelf. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think people spend a lot of time telling, trying to convince me of how, how delicious it is. And it's like, but that's not, that's not as a buyer, that's not actually high on my list. I mean, yes, it better taste good, but, uh, but and that will so always translate more. through to sales. If it do, if it is the best tasting dip out there, then the sales will indicate it. And if you say, "I have the best tasting dip hands down," and they say, "Well, how are your how are your sales?" and they're like, "Yeah, they're, they're down twenty percent." Well, there's a huge disconnect because if you were the best, then your sales would indicate it. So nothing nothing cuts to the core quicker than data um, and approving that you know that I can be successful and that I can I can outpace my competitors. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, there are some other data areas like social media that you could bring into it if you're really a very young company, um, you know, to some extent testimonials and things, but um, just trying to find some of those nuggets. And I know we've talked about like, you know, how frequently should you approach retailers and, you know, you're very rarely, if ever, going to get a yeah, bring it on in. First time, right? <laughs> so time again, just do diligence, you know, um, but, you know, give them a reason to say, yes, I want to come in to see you. Again, just saying the same thing over and over again, mine tastes the best, mine tastes the best, not going to get you there, you know, and, you know, if, you know, you just have to continually improve your data story, because if, you know, they're reading your emails, you know, and if, and if they didn't choose to meet with you, it's probably because your story wasn't as compelling as it needed to be. So back to the drawing board, um, you know, it's what's great to see is progression too, is, hey, I reached out to you six months ago. I have something, you know, really impressive to show you that we have tripled our sales since last time. You know, that's going to catch a buyer's eye. It says, wow, these guys are, are studying the data and they're improving. And maybe you hit that threshold of, okay, come on in or, hey, send me samples. Um, so be diligent and, you know, um, you have to find that sweet spot of, you know, not emailing them every single morning at 9am, but not reaching out once a year, you know, uh, and for each brand that's different. Um, so, uh, I think that's, that's key. Yeah. I think, uh, a lot of brands I work with, they're so scared about reaching out and they don't want to bother them and they haven't heard back and that follow-up schedule. And, and first of all, we should just say like, you do need a system. Let's just go back to the basics, like some kind of customer relationship management tool or CRM. And sometimes that's just a spreadsheet, but uh, you do need a tool to manage all of this. Don't just make a note in a notepad and then hope that you'll remember um, that conversation and who, you know, all of the details that you need. So definitely have a system. And then uh, I typically tell people, you know, every, every two weeks to keep following up, especially with some kind of nugget. Like, don't just be like, Hey, (laughs) here I am again, but offer Mm -hmm. something of value. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Again, there's 999 people that are in that same exact inbox as you. And, uh, you know, the ones that get through are going to be the one that really wow them with something. So, just remember that you're not their first email. You're their 999th that day. So, absolutely, yeah. Um, and it, until you get that hard no, and and even then, you may still you know want to follow up more you know on occasion. But that follow through is huge. And and just because they don't respond to you right away, it doesn't mean that that you're you know that you're not on their mind or that they don't recognize you. Um, and I, I think people are surprised too, and maybe you can speak to this at the long, um, the long lead time it can take to get into a retailer. I mean, yes, with small independents, it could be a yes fairly quickly. 
um, they can make room on their shelf, but can you speak to kind of the length of time it can take to get into some of these larger retailers? I mean, some of the larger retailers can take, I mean, what is it, September? I mean, it can take 11 months, you know, 10, 11 months. You know, what what you're presenting now won't even hit the shelf until, you know, 11 months from now. So uh, I think that for smaller startups, those windows are definitely a lot smaller. And, you know, those are for more national type rollouts. But, you know, I'd focus on, you know, what can you affect next month, not, in 10 months. So can you get into alfalfas in the next three, three weeks? Um, go there. Once you get in that, you get to perfect that story until you go to the next level. Um, so understand where you can find your wins because, you know, you can't hold your breath for 10 months hoping you get that big national rollout. And when the answer is no, what do you do now? So it's all about, you know, the progression of, of creating your data story and making it better and better over time and, and doing it where you can have change, you know, um, your local, you know, the local grocery store, like a, like a local lore in Denver, uh, a great a great chain that works with local brands. You know, if you can crack in there and create your data story, again, you don't need a 60-page deck of data just to show that you're warranted. You know, if you can say, yeah, I was the number one best-selling sauce six weeks in a row at, you know, at this at the store called Local Lore, that's something, you know. And, you know, it'll, it'll snowball, you know, and then you, then you get from there and you, and you get into the three alfalfas and you become the number one best-selling sauce there, or your velocities are 50% better than the, the, the category there, that's going to really help you. And, you know, as that snowball grows, you know, your first data nugget's probably not going to be good enough to, to wow a buyer. But if you grow on that and you perfect your first bubble, and then that, that bubble pops and you go to your bigger bubble and you perfect that one, and it just snowballs. And before you know it, you have a data story that's starting to turn heads. Yeah. And it's a great reminder to don't just get an account and then be like, great. Like now I'm on to the next one. Like you really need to baby those early accounts. And I mean, all of them should be relationship based, but um, especially those early independents, like really spend time there. And I know demos are not an option for most places anymore. And that was a typical strategy, but how can you still baby that relationship? Um <laughs> The age old adage is, you know, getting it on the shelf is the easy part, you know, getting them to say, yes, put it on the shelf. That's the easy part. Now the work really begins because if you can't get that product to go turn back off of shelves, you'll be discontinued. So, you know, celebrate, you know, celebrate your win until tomorrow morning and then start working about now. How do I, how do I create my story? How do I perfect my story? How do I perfect this opportunity so I can go to the next level? But yeah, it's, you got to focus on getting it back off the shelf, not just on. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, we see so many brands celebrate like, I got into Whole Foods. And you're like, okay, that's, that was actually the easy part. And they don't, they don't believe us. <laughs> yeah, yep. uh, I always say you have till 8 a.m. tomorrow morning to celebrate. So when you have that win, you know, celebrate with your team, but 8 a.m. the next day, start working at it again. Yep, exactly. Um. All right. Well, those are some great tips for people kind of in their early stage. Um, they have a, you know, a more established brand and they're taking it from a hobby business. So now for my big dreamers out there listening to this podcast that are like, I'm going to be, you know, in every Whole Foods and every Kroger, um, every Safeway, uh, they want to, they want to take over the world. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Or at least in your, in your notes, you said, but we'll, we'll call it 500 locations. So, <laughs> well, maybe we won't take over the world yet. But um, so somebody wants to expand into new regions, get into a lot more stores. Um, now we're probably talking about getting more help in the sales area. Yeah, I think, you know, when you get to that level where you're in 500 plus locations, even still, still relatively small, you know, comparatively speaking, but you know, when you get to that next level and, you know, you know if, if you have to identify again, what, what is your strength? If your strength is operations and creating that best darn product that you can, um, focus there. Uh, maybe you are a sales guy. Maybe you're an extrovert who loves to sell and, you know, talk about your product and operations takes a second seat. So I think it's really identifying what's your strength um, or more importantly, what's your weakness and surrounding yourself with people who can turn those weaknesses into strength. I would say, you know, again, one of the best things about the industry is, um, you know, don't be a stranger. 
Um, there's so many people that are willing to help and there's so much free education and free insight and free knowledge out there that, um, you know, just inject yourself into the community and definitely a little bit more challenging, you know, this day and age, but, you know, when, uh, you know, when the smoke rises from, from what we're going through, just get, engage yourself in the community. You'd be amazed at that one person knows three people who know three people. And you'll really learn a lot um, from just, you know, plugging yourself in the communities, um, especially the national foods community, because we just have a propensity to, to everyone wants to help each other. So you can really go a long way and, you know, not, still not even have to go hire that big expensive salesperson, but just lean on your community, ask a lot of questions, make a lot of friends, um, and you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed at how you can. How you- yeah. And I mean, the positive of kind of our current virtual situation is that now actually everything is online and more accessible. So that's kind of one of the upsides is if you're in a more isolated area or there's just a lot more opportunities. You don't have to be in person in that mm-hmm. space anymore. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Colorado Food Works here in a minute. But community is huge. How do you use um, LinkedIn? I feel like that might be for for many early stage entrepreneurs, they don't realize how important LinkedIn is for growing their business. I, I think that's a great point. You know, I think that obviously your Instagrams and your Facebooks is more of a kind of consumer branding, but out of the gates, you know, building your infrastructure and learning, um, LinkedIn is a fantastic tool and um, highly recommend just plugging yourselves into as many networks as possible. So your news feeds bring up interesting articles and you get connected to people who, uh, who know people. And uh, it's a great place too. I mean, again, a lot of people are out there trying to give you everyone a leg up. If you can tell your story well on, on LinkedIn, um, you'll, you'll, you can really turn some heads, you know, and, and even capture a buyer's attention or, you know, maybe there's an investor who loves your idea. Um, so LinkedIn is a great, great tool for kind of, you know, less consumer facing, but more like as you build the structure of your company and uh, a great tool, a great, great tool. And even potentially more now. I mean, it always was being used that way, but now we're all connecting virtually anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, do you recommend having a business page as well as, or are you talking about kind of using your personal? Both. Both, both. Um, okay. Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, important to tell your story both personally, but also you know by creating you know a brand page on LinkedIn, it, it helps it helps people find find your brand. Another great tool for kind of early stage um, is uh, what's they called Range Me. Um, it's a great kind of virtual way for buyers as high as Walmart buyers. Um, it's kind of a virtual, uh, like a virtual kind of train show, if you will, where it connects brands with buyers and buyers with brands. It's relatively affordable and you can, you know, virtually submit your presentation, your deck. Um, they can reach out and request samples. So Range Me is another, another way that technology is really helping kind of the younger startups uh, become extremely relevant because, you know, it's, it's tough to kind of jockey your way ahead of, you know, all the, all the big Pepsis and, you know, late Julys and big companies of the world. But uh, Range Me is a great tool that really kind of levels the playing field a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of brands I work with, they, you know, that, that price of membership can seem really high, but it is an investment. And just like with any investment, you can't just set it and forget it. You know, you have to keep in it. You got to keep working it. You got to combine with the LinkedIn approach and like you're really um, you're working the back end of your business and making those connections. So you can't just list your product on range me and then be like, cool, where are all the people? <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty good. They, they'll, you know, they'll give you prompts of like, Hey, this, this, this uh, retailer is reviewing this category, you know, this month. And so uh, it's a really good tool to help you navigate and uh, it can really make you relevant quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so any other, oh, I guess we talked, we didn't kind of jump into hires. So, and then when do you use a broker as well? So I'm wanting to grow into those, those 500 locations. Um, probably someone in sales would, would be an, a good first hire unless you're really, that's like your strong suit. Um, but yeah, talk about brokers a little bit. 
questions. Yeah. So, so, you know, as with a lot of the things we've mentioned, you know, walk before you run, um, you know, if you don't have the ability to scale, um, it's going to be difficult to make that investment a worthwhile one. So, uh, it, you know, but a broker can really help, you know, help you, you know, craft your pitch, can help you get in front of the right retailers, can help you uh, improve your performance at store level. Um, so, you know, I would say, you know, once you're between 500 and 1,000 stores is when you should start looking to, you know, potentially bring on a broker that fits you and, you know, starting small, start, starting regionally. You don't need a big national broker to go to go in it because until you've perfected your region, there's no reason to go to national. So, you know, find a local, find a local, um, a local a broker in, if you're in the Rocky Mountain area to help you grow that business. Once you've perfected that business, then you can, you know, maybe go to Southern California or Texas or North Northern California. So uh, just caution to not do it too soon. Um, but when, you know, when it's time, it's a, it's an invaluable tool um, to bring them on. And it's all about, you know, you know, getting brokers to hold them accountable is, is really the key. Um, you know, brokers, I always have the, the three A's, um, you know, you want your goals to be aggressive yet attainable and most importantly agreed upon. And that's how you get to that kind of that fourth A of accountability. Um, because, you know, it's like the squeaky wheel gets, uh, gets the oil syndrome. So make sure that you're, you know, being fair, but, you know, really, really demanding accountability with brokers. And you can really, you can really do a lot of, a lot of damage there. Yeah. I mean, people are so excited to like hand off the the reins to a broker, but then now you have a whole new job and that's to manage the broker. <laughs> so. well, there's, you know, there's really good solutions as, as, as interims there too. You know, I think that uh, there's definitely a, 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 a kind of an industry of kind of fractionalized salespeople. So, you know, kind of think of it as more like a consultant who they maybe work with a few startup brands at the same time and really kind of teach them the ropes um, there's also really good um, organizations that kind of are, you know, external sales teams. So if you're not ready to build out a sales team and if you don't have the bandwidth to manage a broker, which is a full-time job, uh, organizations like um, FDM are kind of outsourced sales teams that um, for small startups, they can really pack a punch in terms of the resources they provide you at a fraction of the cost. So there's definitely solutions. It's not, okay, I need to go hire a VP of sales now. You know, you can, you know, you can get by on your own. You, if you have the bandwidth to manage a broker, you can do it that way. You can bring in fractional salespeople. You can bring in outsourced um, sales organizations. There really are a lot of tools and, and ask around, you know, ask, you know, you know, again, back to the community, what worked for you when you were small, you know, now you're a $12 million brand. When you were a $1 million brand, what did you do? Um, What worked best? What were the mistakes you made? Because um, we've all made them. So, you know, asking questions can really help you navigate better. Yeah, I love that. Um, such good, good stuff in there. And, and you know, just to clarify for people who maybe are listening, they're like, I have no idea what a broker is. But so how would you define a broker? Just so uh, we make sure people <laughs> know what we're talking about here. So a broker is an extension of your sales team. Um, you know, brokers do manage anywhere from 20 to 100 different brands at the same time. So you're not top of mind every second of the day, but, you know, they've got, you know, you know, personnel on their team that is, you know, that they have standing meetings with, you know, Sprouts every week and they have standing meetings with natural grocers every week. So, you know, that brand provides value to the retailer because instead of that buyer meeting with 50 different brands, they can meet with one person that represents those 50 brands. So, uh, it's an extension of your sales team. Um, some of them are small regional boutique ones. Some of them are, you know, national behemoths. So it's uh, just what stage you're at and finding the right one that really jives with your your brand and um, can get excited about selling your product on your behalf. So I'm curious, uh, you know, trade shows, obviously, when you're working on getting into those big retailers, that was um, a way that was kind of one of the main tools that people use. So um, what are you guys doing now and at Alter Eco, or maybe you guys weren't even going to trade shows anymore because you're a much larger brand, but any thoughts on trade show? <laughs> yeah, it's, Future? Uh, definitely a fuzzy picture. Um, you know, we're a little TBD on exactly what our plans are for next year. 
Um, trade shows can be a great, great way to build buzz on your brand, a great way to network, um, it's like networking on steroids. And, you know, it can be a great way for you to just connect eyes with the buyer and, you know, start things up that every brand has that story about doing an expo or a fancy foods show, or even a smaller distributor show where the buyer walks up, you get three minutes of their time. They say, I'll give you a shot. Um, so it really can be advantageous. It can be very expensive as well. Um, I think, you know, what I would work on before a trade show is just perfecting, you know, where you are. So whether that's a farmer's market or five stores or two regions, if you can't look in the mirror and say, I've absolutely dominated this level, that's where I would spend that extra dollar because trade shows can cost $10,000. Um, and that, if you just take that, took that same $10,000 and put it back into where you're currently working on, your data will be better. Your data will be stronger. And at the end of the day, that $10,000 is going to build a stronger foundation um, for you. So it really just depends upon the, the, the stage and the size of your company. Yeah, that's that's great advice because I think people want that. They feel like a trade show is going to be a magic bullet for their success. But, it's, you know, that's not for everyone right at the beginning by any means. And there, there can be a lot better investments in in your capital and that it is a lot of money on a hope and a prayer that you're going to meet that right buyer. <laughs> um, yeah. But what, what doesn't, you know, cause you're right. That's just one little, that's just one happenstance, but what's not a happenstance, strong data, strong data. And that doesn't go away. Whereas, you know, if you look, if you look the wrong direction at one time, you might miss that buyer, but your data is going to be there. Your data is going to be a stronger foundation than the happenstance that you meet that buyer that you're looking to meet. So Again, invest in your invest in your story, invest in your metrics to make sure that you know the thing is too is when you get that buyer in front of you, if he says, you know, well, what what are your sales? And you spend all your money on building that relation as a uh, trade show booth and you didn't invest it back into creating that rock solid data story, he's gonna say, Nice to meet you, and he's gonna keep on walking. So exactly. Okay, really, exactly. Really go back enough to that. Yeah. Well, I love it. We've really hit on, I mean, we could just keep talking about data, 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 but hopefully you guys have got her data story is really, really important. And Doug and I talked more about that in that webinar that um, you can grab, go and, and listen to that for free. But we've talked a lot about community as well, besides data um, throughout this, uh, throughout this interview. So, um, I mean, you started Colorado Foodworks with just some guys, right? Sitting over beers and talking about yeah. your... <laughs> no, it was, uh, again, you know, when I came to the realization five years ago that um, there's a wealth of knowledge out there and it's free and everyone's willing to give it. And so I really invested, you know, Colorado Foodworks was, there was a little bit of a selfish thing in me is I wanted to connect with more people so I could learn more, um, more do's, more don'ts, more, more connections. Uh, it really just started with me and a buddy getting together and just saying, Hey, I'll help you if you help me. And we kind of signed off on that and that turned into six people. And before we knew it, we, you know, we had a board and we, we really launched and now again, we're at 600 people, but it's the same exact thing. It's that it's just, it's those same two people sitting over a beer agreeing to help each other, but it's just being done at a 600 person level now. So, um, you know, it, it's a, I, I mean, I've benefited, you know, both personally, um, you know, met some great friends, really uh, love helping out small companies and, and getting over that hurdle. But I've also really, really benefited, you know, professionally too. You know, uh, there's a lot of connections I made directly from Colorado Foodworks. Um, and it just shows the power of a community. If you can really harness the power of a community, there's really nothing that can stop you. And so, you know, whether it's, uh, Colorado Foodworks or Naturally Boulder or any kind of, you know, other, you know, meetup group just really encourage you to, you know, find your community um, because the problems that you're having, someone's had them before and someone's gotten through them before. So the answers are out there. It's just a matter of finding them. So, you know, it, it's a, it is a weird time and obviously, um, you know, excited that, excited that now you'll be kind of taking over as the, the new, the new head of Colorado Foodworks. Um, for those of you guys who haven't heard the news as of late, um, after five amazing years with Colorado Foodworks, um, I have found a suitor who is going to take Colorado Foodworks to uh, great new levels, and that's in Sari. Um, she's got you know great energy, great community building skills, and 
uh, I'm excited to pass the torch to her, but at its, at its roots, um, it's, it's just a great community uh, with people looking to help each other. So I'm excited that, uh, and I'm proud to have built the community here. Um, and I'll always be such a you know, big player in the community of, of just natural foods in general, whether it's Denver, Boulder, you know, Austin, it's just, it's just, it's awesome to see so many like familiar faces and friends and, you know, everyone's willing to, you know, stick a handout. So it's a really, it's a really great organization that we've created. Yeah. Well, thank you again for building such a great, great community. I know when I uh, moved here, it was like, my dream was to, you know, be on the board of Colorado Food Works. And so I was very honored that, um, that you extended that invitation to, to take over leadership of it. And it's going to be a fun ride <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, but, but many people know, you know, at Whole Foods Market, one of my jobs as the marketing director was about building community. And, and that is definitely a big passion of mine. So really excited to help with that. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's, that's color food works. And, uh, you know, there are naturally Austin, naturally Chicago, lots of other food, um, larger food communities, but also Facebook groups and smaller groups. Um, so definitely everyone listening, please go out and find support and find groups, um, to help you through this journey. It is a, it can be a really lonely journey, um, being a solopreneur or even with a partner, uh, and, and I don't think you can grow without those connections. Like you can't grow your business in a vacuum. Would you agree with that? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We're all, we're all in this, uh, in a weird way, we're all in this fight together, believe it or not. So, uh, yeah, never, never be a stranger. And, you know, this even goes to people listening. Um, feel free to find me on LinkedIn. I'm always, I'm always there to grab a virtual cup of coffee and, and connect with brands who have questions. So, um, yeah, please, please reach out if, if I can help out in any way. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll put Doug's information in the, in the uh, show notes, but, um, so I've been, uh, wrapping up interviews with, uh, a quote from Michelle Norris. Uh, let's not strive for normal. Let's strive for better. And I think that nowhere in my mind is that more clear than in the food industry, um, that things are getting shaken up. So, how, from your perspective, um, how do you think the industry is changing for the better? Well, I think the one thing that has really come to come to light during all this craziness is food is one of the most uh, universal connectors of humans, you know, um, from, you know, going out to eat, which is a little bit different now, to sitting down with your family, to, to baking a loaf of bread. Food is really the glue that kind of holds you know, hold society together in a way. And I think we're all very fortunate to be in, uh, in an industry that is, you know, in a weird way, kind of benefiting from what we're going through. And it just shows the importance of food. You know, we're not, we're not just selling X, we really are, you know, all kind of woven together in this, this, this food system that really kind of connects society and, and brings people so much joy. And so it's just really neat to be in that industry where people need food, you know, more than ever right now for more than just, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but uh, for bringing people together, for finding hobbies, for, you know, getting healthy, for all those types of things. And so it's really neat to be part of the food industry for that reason. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, people are pivoting and evolving and kind of, I mean, there's been some really neat innovation. I think these kind of things always spark <laughs> innovation, but we all have to eat. And so we're kind of figuring out what that new lands landscape looks like. Um, you had also written down uh, Alter Eco Foundation. What's that about? Well, that's a great thing that um, we're really excited about. Um, Alter Eco uh, is my current job and I'm the VP of sales. They're a great, uh, great chocolate company, but a company that really does demonstrate um, you know, doing, doing right, not just kind of creating a product, but doing right by consumers, by our farmers and uh, by our products. So the Alter Eco Foundation is something that's launching later this year. Um, and it's a, it's a great way of saying, you know, going that next step of saying, okay, I want to help the farmers or I want to help, um, I want to help other people in this area. But Alter, Alter Eco Foundation is a completely separate entity from Alter Eco Foods, where we're taking this so seriously that the Alter Eco Foundation needed to be created because we had so much to do and so much to invest and so much to give back into. So, you know, a lot of brands, 
definitely do a great job giving back, but doing it at such a level to spin off and create its own entity that solely focuses on giving is really, really special. And so as we look at how to do things better, uh, you know, definitely bias, but Alter Eco is an, ex an excellent example of brands going that extra 10 miles to really make sure that what we're doing matters. And we're not just you know, slinging chocolate bars at the grocery store. We're doing things that help the planet, uh, that help our farmers. Um, and this is a really, really neat place to place to be. So, you know, check out the Alter Eco Foundation, the, some of the really awesome things that we're doing and how we're, you know, making, uh, making the planet better, you know, one chocolate bar at a time. That's awesome. I will definitely go check that out. And hopefully everyone um, goes and sees what you guys are doing. That's got to be really fun to be part of such a great organization. Well, thank you so much for your time. I mean, you are a wealth of knowledge, especially around this sales piece that can be awfully scary for many, many early stage <laughs> foodpreneurs and just sharing your insight and wisdom. And um, yeah, if you could offer that one last sentence of advice uh, to anyone starting out, what would that be? Just, uh, you know, just remain committed. It's not, it's not always easy. Um, sometimes it's, you know, harder than it is easier, but uh, the brands that really do kind of dig their heels in and, and pour their passion into what they do, those are the brands that you see resonating on shelf. Absolutely. And data, 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 data. All right. Well, you have a fantastic day. Thanks again for joining me, Doug. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. That's it for today's podcast. Thanks everyone for joining us and go check out the show notes for all the links that we talked about. And I will talk to you next time. Are you ready to start that delicious idea that you make in your home kitchen or grow your existing packaged food business and take it to the next level. The most successful food business entrepreneurs have support, guidance, focus, and accountability to help them make it happen quickly without wasting time or money. Plus, I think starting your packaged food business should actually be fun. Food business success is your secret ingredient to creating your food business dream. Please don't go this alone. Check out the private free Food Business Success Facebook group to connect with other foodpreneurs, get your questions answered quickly, share your wins, and receive special training and tools I only share inside the private community. Just search for Food Business Success on Facebook or get the link in the show notes. Curious about how Food Business Success can help you? Head over to foodbizsuccess.com and fill out the application to see if you're a great fit for the program. Together, let's make your food business dream a reality.